Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Uh, we are with Michael, our resident ephesiologist, Andrew Johnson, who's an associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. And I'm Matt Till, lead pastor and church planter of Restoration Church in the Chicago suburbs. Guys, it is good to be with you today. And uh, for our listening audience, um, we are you're going to be hearing a conversation. It's going to sound just like a typical podcast, but it doesn't start the same way as uh, we normally do, mostly because we got on the line and we just hit record because we just started having a conversation. We thought, well, we just got to start recording this. So we kind of bypassed some of the formalities. And it's a conversation that's really near and dear to our hearts and things that are in process. And uh, we recognize that um, uh, some of these things are still, some of these thoughts are a bit still unformed. and. Uh, Michael, this is something that you started bringing up and uh, just maybe give us a little bit of context. Yeah, well, we we have been chatting offline about um, church planting movements and whether we should look at those as strategies or as a result of something else that was going on in the New Testament. And, and then it, uh, of course, raised this whole question in terms of uh, our roles. Um, are we church planters? And and then it led me to think, goodness, am I having a, a crisis here of uh, identity as having been a church planter? And, uh, and now what, what does that do with my life uh, and, and what I've done over the past 30 years or so of, of work? And so um, I, I think this is a, a good conversation. It's still one that makes me a little bit nervous, but, um, uh, but something that I think in some ways, I mean, we have to ask this question. Um, it, it just is, I think, the responsible question to ask. Um, and that being, are we reading into Scripture this idea of a church planting strategy? And, uh, yeah, so that, so this is, this is a fun conversation, a challenging one, and I don't know that we have necessarily the answer, but we certainly want to make sure that the questions are being raised. Yeah, that's right. And so, uh, Michael, thank you, uh, too, just for that uh, brief introduction. And again, you're hearing from uh, Michael, who is a practitioner and has been doing this for 30 years, as he said, and has been involved in multiple church plants as well, not just uh, a lot of them overseas even, and also trains church planters uh, overseas. Um, And so I think that as even when we hear him wrestle through these things, we too, as uh, Andrew and myself, when we ask these questions as well too, as kind of younger practitioners following in the footsteps of people like Michael and those uh, before us, we too are asking these questions, looking at our culture and our world and saying, okay, now what is next and what are the implications? So without further ado, uh, here is that conversation. Michael, you were mentioning to us uh, that you feel your world has been shattered in regards to things like church planting movements and uh, kind of the way that the church in the West thinks about, you know, church planting movements. This is the way of the future. Um, the The whole work of God's kingdom all comes down to church planting movements, uh, and you feel that your vision of them has been shattered. So, how is that? Why is that? What does that mean for you? Yeah, you know, it's something that has been a head scratcher for me as I've been looking uh, and as we've been studying this movement in the New Testament. Um, It's striking to me, uh, for example, that Paul, when he opens his letter to the, the the, the, the letter to the Ephesians, it says, it's to the saints. 
And so often he addresses his letter to the saints. And on a couple of occasions, he does address to a, a church. But um, as I've been thinking about, you know, this movement and just thinking about what, what the scope of it was, um, it seems to me that church planting movements, as what we've been talking about, is the result of something that had happened. And, uh, and I had not thought about it in that way before. In fact, as I think about church planting and, and just go back to a little bit of my history uh, and how I got involved with church planting, um, I, I became convinced in the late 1980s that church planting was the way to go. And in fact, we were talking about church planting as being so strategic in terms of uh, a strategy to reach the lost with the gospel. And, and yeah, and, uh, and I wonder even back then, um, if I had become a little bit disillusioned with um, how disciples were being made, that uh, you know there were many of us that were reaching for different methods, and church planting became one of those methods. Did it become the method just because the method you were looking at seemed like it wasn't making disciples, and this other thing was? Yeah, you know, that, it, it, and this is interesting because my background was with a parachurch organization. And, um, and, and I mean, it was with Crew. And Crew, of course, is famous for being a movement, a disciple-making movement. And, and that was my history, even as a, a university student, was, you know, multiplying disciples. And we did that um, at my university. At the time, we had the largest campus ministry in the United States. Um, if not the world. And, uh, and so we had, uh, I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds of students involved in small group uh, Bible studies. And so, and so the movement thing I got, I, I mean, I understood that. And, uh, but here was the disconnect that I was beginning to see and, and where I began to wrestle with this as I worked in uh, the Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union. We did great. We did evangelism really well. And uh, where we were weak was in discipleship, although discipleship certainly was uh, an important aspect of, of um, the, the evangelistic activities. And so in my mind, I started asking the question, well, what, what would be the um, better model, if you will, of disciples and people being disciples. And that's when I began to think about the church because, you know, what we were doing was primarily focused on university campuses. And, um, it, but it was the church that was in the community that, you know, was engaging or, or at least, you know, that's what the church should be doing is engaging with the community, not just at one uh, social level, but uh, on multiple levels. And so I began to think that, well, yeah, um, starting churches that engaged on those multiple levels uh, is a great strategy. And, uh, and so I, so I began to do that. It's interesting because, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, I guess it's interesting when like we think about it and go, okay, what are the commands of scripture, right? What are the commands uh, of New Testament people, part of the new covenant of Jesus, right? Followers of the way, 
um, go make disciples, he says. Mm. But when we read that, we read into, we read into the word. We read into the command because of the tradition that's been handed to us, right? The, the structures in which we exist within. Uh, it's no different than thinking about it like culturally, right? Um, as a uh, white male in the United States, I just think of the world from my particular position and perspective. And so um, I tend to just bring that with me wherever I go because it's all I've known. It's all I've grown up. It doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong. It doesn't mean it's inherently evil. It just means that this is what I've been handed. But then when you look back at the original context and go, Jesus says, make disciples. Well, then how is that process done? And this is what I think we keep going back to in ephesiology is we see the commands of scripture being played out within the first 20 to 30 to 50 years of Christ's death and resurrection. And we now get the value and the benefit of how did these original disciples and apostles begin to fulfill and do these commands of scripture of making disciples following the great command of Jesus. And that is if you want to fulfill the law, love, worship, glorify God and love others. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and then we see these churches get formed, these communities. Well, actually in Acts, we see their communities. They're known as following the way. They're this eclectic group of people of randomized underground movement to which then eventually Paul starts referring to them as the church. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Jesus, of course, had, had spoken of the church in, in the gospel of Matthew. But it's, it's interesting to see how these things kind of started playing out. And it's, it's interesting when you ask yourself the question that you're asking yourself. I go, wow, that's really interesting. Have I given this much thought myself either? Yeah, I, I mean, it's when I started asking myself that question, I thought, oh, holy cow, what have I missed something for the last you know, 25 years? Um, and, and, and so I don't want to throw out, you know, 25 years of uh, experience here and, and or discount anything that we were doing in terms of starting churches. And, uh, you know, I am very grateful to the Lord for having had the privilege of uh, starting multiple churches and training church planters around the world. I mean, it's been a wonderful uh, experience. But I think what it comes down to then is like what you were getting at, Matt. Um, Am I reading into Scripture something that isn't explicit um, but can certainly be looked at in terms of the result? And I think that's where I am now. I think that what we're seeing is the emphasis uh, was on making disciples. And that's what Paul did. He was concerned about those disciples multiplying. And the result of that were these communities that were forming, uh, that were called churches. And, um, and, but they were a result and not the, uh, not the strategy necessarily. Mm. I mean, this is thinking. I'm sorry. Backwards. That's literally the exact words that I was thinking is that, uh, we have been utilizing church planting and church planting movements as the outcome. That was the goal that we had been working towards, as opposed to seeing church planting or 
or even just the, the functions of a church um, as strategy to get to making disciples. And I think now in a, a big red flag waving sort of way, uh, we are seeing that just because we have a church doesn't mean we're making disciples. And, uh, but we, we keep thinking that church planting or the existence of, and I'm going to use air quote healthy, healthy churches means that we are automatically making disciples. Um, but we're seeing it's not happening. Like, just to, clar- just to clarify, Michael, are you saying church planting is the strategy or, it, or it's the outcome of a different strategy? Yeah, th- you know, I'm thinking of it in terms of the outcome, that the result of us making disciples are the, the gathering of these disciples in what we call churches. And I, I think that's very biblical. Um, right, that's a good way. That's yeah, yeah. If if we want to say that now, gosh, I know this is. I mean, this kind of cuts me to the chase in one sense because um, we used church planting as a strategy, and so our objective early Mm -hmm. on was we would identify an area and we would go there to plant a church, and that church looked something like what we can imagine a church would look like. And, and then the result of planting that church is that disciples were made. And where I'm, where I'm seeing uh, in our study of the movement in Ephesus is, is the opposite, that Paul's focus first was on the making of disciples. And then as a result of the making of disciples, uh, a church started. It is no, I mean, you can get on Amazon, you can look for your favorite book on church planting, you're going to find them by some popular authors and some not so popular authors. And at the beginning of almost every single one of those books, you're going to find the statistic that came out somewhere um, in the 90s, and then again, um, was repeated again in the 2000s. And it says uh, very clearly, that the most effective strategy statistically to reaching the lost in your community is by planting a new church and thus the not just the church growth movement this is an out this is the afterwards you have the church growth movement of of the uh, influential mega churches that started in the 80s and 90s and now you've got 90s and 2000s this multiplication or this church planting movement that has just gone like wildfire and, and even migrated into multi-site multi-campus kind of thing here especially in the west right and it's interesting because they point to a statistic that clearly says this is the most effective means of reaching the lost. And so um, I think your critique, Michael, is helpful, but I think challenges a lot of us in a way by going, yeah, I don't know about that because is the church supposed to be the strategy? Because if it's, the statistical means to reaching the loss, then why would we not do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, oh, and that's the challenge for us, is, is to wrestle through um, that very question. You know, is it, a, is it a strategy or is it the result of a strategy? And you brought up earlier, uh, Matt, and I think this is important to point out, that Jesus does talk about the church, uh, but it's interesting in the Gospels, he only talks about the church twice. Uh, once in Matthew 16, when he says that he will build the church. And then again in uh, Matthew 18, when he's giving instructions on uh, the form of discipline 
uh, in a church. And, and, and so we take this verse where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst, <laughs> uh, often out of context because Jesus is talking about discipline. Um, but but um, uh, I lost my thought here. And so Jesus talks twice about the church. And, and, and I think, and this is important because we can't forget he's talking about one church, right? It's one church that he is mm. building, not mm. multiple denominations, not multiple mm. house churches. It's one church and of which he is the single head. Which, which, Paul, which I think that's a helpful, helpful clarifier, Michael, because even Paul then, of course, follows that up in his epistles. And especially we see that in um, very prominently in Ephesians, um, in which he, of course, is writing by saying Christ is the head and he's the head of the church. Um, he's the head of all things. All things are coming together under his authority. It is to him we, we receive our instructions to him in whom we all Oh, all glory to, he is the head of the church. He is the founder of the church. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a helpful clarifier by going, yeah, is this, uh, is this nothing more than 2000 years of the most intense family, inner family feud? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast or not, but uh, I've said it before that uh, Christianity is probably the most postmodern uh, the institution that has ever existed. And if we think, I think more accurately to talk about it as a hypermodern uh, rather than postmodern, but mm. um, a hypermodern institution, because ultimately what happens in the church, as we know through church history, is that everyone kind of does their own thing. And uh, whatever I feel like is what I want to believe, then I'm going to start a church that does that. And, uh, and so we see this proliferation of denominations, especially uh, at the time of the uh, uh, 1500s as we get into the Reformation. And then, of course, it's exploded. I mean, there are just uh, hundreds and hundreds of denominations all around the world. And, and so we, we, uh, you know, we have this impression that we're trying to start the, the church uh, when in reality we're starting an expression of what we think is the church, and mm. um, and I, you know, I just I'm just wondering, did we get it backwards? I mean, should our focus really be on let's make disciples because that's clear. I mean, we know what a disciple is. Jesus is very clear on uh, what a disciple is, and if if our focus were on that, uh, then. It, they're going to gather together in fellowship as what we see in Acts chapter two. And then all throughout the rest of the book of Acts uh, where believers are gathering together to worship, to fellowship, to read scripture together um, and to do evangelism and to pray. I think what's really what's helpful to this discussion as well. When I say harmful, this is kind of what Matt was teasing out earlier, which is when we start this conversation, we're going to interchange our language. So we're going to start talking about the church when we mean big C church. And then there are going to be times we're talking about church. We also mean little C church. We mean the institution of church. And so when we say church planting or the church uh, has become a strategy, I think we're saying little C church 
multiplying house churches or expressions of the church is a means to getting more disciples to follow Jesus. And we're saying that's, that's bad. Um, or rather, I think all of us, all three of us in our contexts in America, where we're looking, we just keep looking around and we're saying, uh, like Matt, that, that statistic that keeps popping up in, in a variety of books and places, people are going to say, well, this is the most effective means. And all of us are kind of shrugging our shoulders and saying, is it? Like, yeah, I mean, you, and you question that it? now because you're <laughs> seeing 3,000 churches a month that are closing their doors. And, it, and so if it is this most effective means to engage our culture with the gospel, whoops, uh, then we've, we, we have some issues that we have to wrestle with. Because we keep looking around at everybody, uh, at least here in Houston, and uh, we're looking around and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm so thankful your church is growing. Like for real, that is not a, that is not actual envy. Like why isn't my church growing? But uh, like I'm legitimately thrilled when people's, are having their seams burst and, and their sanctuaries packed. And that's awesome. But then when you ask the question, so how many of that is new growth, like new believers, new disciples, is it adding or is it multiplication? Mm-hmm. Or when we start asking the question that is, you know, uh, woven into the depths of disciple making. So how many generations is this? Is this, how many generations of new believers are we talking about? Uh, Is this second generation? Are we talking third generation? Or are we getting closer to the dream of like that fourth and fifth generation of disciples making disciples making disciples? Because I think if we start asking, we're going to get a lot of those uncomfortable answers of it might be the second generation if that's happening. Which again, praise God. (laughs) I don't mean to be so snarky as to make it sound like these new Christians aren't good enough. but it's kind of like, is that multiplying? Mm-hmm. Are we making disciples? And are the churches that are coming out of a, a result of new disciples? Or mm-hmm. are the churches that are coming out of the ministry we are doing just a strategy to hopefully make new disciples? And we're not even sure we're doing that. Yeah. And, and at worst, you know, we're doing demographic shifts uh, from one church to another. And uh yeah, and that's the that's the question that we have to ask. And I'm so thankful that uh, uh, our study of this movement in the New Testament is causing us to ask these questions. Because you're right, Andrew, they're uncomfortable. I mean, are we really multiplying? And and that absolutely happens in Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And as I've said before, and I and I stand by this, I do believe that there were multiple house churches that resulted from uh, Paul's uh, ministry of multiplying disciples. And I I do believe that when he talks about this emerging leadership structure, for example, in in 1 Timothy 3, that he is is seeing that these churches are being led by uh, leaders of households. And and so, yes, but I think that those are the result of disciple making that leadership was necessary because more and more disciples were being made um i have a um uh i have a short story to share yeah and then i'm going to follow it up with a question uh last night i got a chance to meet with uh a couple of uh leaders in my church uh we were kind of having a business we were having a business meeting and we were beginning to discuss and talk about 
some changes that we're thinking about doing underneath the hood on the institutional organization of our church restoration. And we were starting to have this conversation of, of some, some just practical business kind of matters, right? That every church, every church leader knows that this is something you do with your elder board and things like that. And we're having this discussion and um, one of the guys uh, just kind of stops midway and he goes, you know, I kind of don't really see that this is a really big importance right now for us to be like, we need to address some of these things, but I don't think this is the most important thing we have to talk about at this moment because we need to remind ourselves what we're here for and what we're doing. And he's like, and, and he's like this right now, what we're doing and what we're about is about learning to love and to glorify God more. Mm. And I like almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> Have you been listening to this podcast called Ephesiology lately? <laughs> I, like, I'm like, I almost fell out of my chair. Like, I'm like, bro, you get it. Like, this is, this is what we're doing. This is what we're about. And so everything else, when you put it in the light of, I'm here to glorify Jesus together with a body of believers, with this community together and to grow together in our love for Christ, our love for Jesus, our love for God, our love uh, for the Holy Spirit and, and uh, being filled with him and our love for one another the rest of the stuff kind of just doesn't really matter as much as I, as I once did. Cause that's where our business, that's where our conversations go. We start talking about the methodologies, the strategies, how do we want to do this organizationally? What does this look like? How about this? And suddenly it's like, wait a minute, is this, is this really of what's most important here? Mm-hmm. And we get our eyes on that and suddenly everything else just kind of becomes, yeah, who cares? It, it doesn't really that, it doesn't matter that much. Right. And we were starting to talk about what does the future hold and how do we begin to move into the process of multiplication? How do we begin to look at that? And again, it was like, are we here to glorify God or not? (laughs) Or are we here to have a strategy? And so my question is, is it possible that, um, and Michael, you've written on this kind of the, um, I forget what you've titled it. Um, but it's kind of the cycle, the, the cycle of movements. Mm-hmm. Every movement has a cycle. And maybe you could refresh our minds on, on what that cycle looks like. But is it possible that the movement of God in what we call the church, the ecclesia, as we read in the Greek, is it possible it's a lot smaller and far more micro and so far less institutionalized that we ever even could even comprehend in our Western context that um, it's designed to live like an organism. It's designed to live like the seasons of our life and the seasons of the weather of the year where the tree blossoms in the spring, flourishes and spreads its seed out in the summer begins to germinate and fall and then decompose in the ground over the, in the fall. And then, and then in the winter time, the snow packs it down. The seed then begins to germinate in the ground. And then the springtime comes up and new plants, new trees are growing around the side of it. And in the meantime, we had to watch the big tree lose its leaves and go into a hibernation in the, twin, in the winter season. 
Is it possible that that is closer to the image of the church than anything that we've ever dreamed of? Anything that we've ever tried to continue to perpetuate? Yeah, I mean, it could very well be. I think that's a beautiful picture uh, that you're painting for us. Uh, um, yeah, it could it could very well be that we've just yeah. I don't want to say that we've missed it. I, I just um, maybe our focus b- because of this kind of postmodern or hypermodern mentality where. Uh, the, the individual or groups of individuals are congregating around particular ideas that uh, and that those ideas perpetuate and you see you know multiple expressions of what the church is um, it, I mean it does certainly make you wonder if somewhere uh, we've gotten a little bit off a of track and have focused more attention on what it is that we believe rather than on God himself and the glorification of him. You know, we, we talked in the last podcast with Devlin um, uh, about this idea that we keep bringing up over and over again about being so theocentric that if our focus is so completely on God, I mean, we lose sight of ourselves and we lose sight of our uh, denominations and our uh, theological uh, particularities. And everything becomes focused on him. And I, I, I mean, that's, that's where I want to be. I mean, I want to be so completely focused on him that everything else is, is a blur. Uh, and I think that's what Paul, that's who Paul was. And that the result of his complete surrender to God and his what I've some often have been calling his uh, missiologically theocentric uh, passion for glorifying God, that that passion uh, results in more and more disciples. It doesn't, I don't think that it results in more and more churches. I think it results in more and more disciples. I don't think that God's interested necessarily in replicating the institution that has become known as the church, uh, particularly in the West. He's very interested in more people, languages, tribes, uh, worshiping him. And and so it's very much a, a people-focused uh, uh, movement that God is, is uh, orchestrating. So maybe then uh, to use our very cool Western language terminology, God's scorecard is not the number of churches in existence. God's scorecard is the faithful number of people who are submitting and worshiping him. Yeah. You know, I, I, I agree. I, I don't think that when we stand before the Lord, uh, he's going to say, Hey Matt, Oh yeah, you're the, you're the pastor, the lead pastor at restoration church or Hey Andrew, you're the associate pastor at Neartown. I don't think he cares uh, about where you are pastoring or what title you have. I think God's concern is, are you making disciples? Um, and, uh, and, and it, because that focuses on him, that, that focuses on more people worshiping him, yeah. uh, not on uh, our ingenuity and how we can uh, orchestrate a, uh, an institution that would attract people. I've been asking those questions. I think I've pitched this a few times on this podcast of uh, getting together with folks 
and then trying to, I've been slack on it as of late. So having this conversation is actually an encouragement to me to keep asking it. But the two questions I'm asking folks are, um, how are you growing in your worship of Jesus? Uh, kind of that white hot passion that Matt was referring to. How are we loving God and truly growing in that worship and love for him? And then the other question uh, is, so who are you helping become a worshiper of God? Mm. And I've asked a lot of faithful, Jesus-loving Christians, and some inside my church, some outside my church. And I'll let you know, the answers to that second question are usually quiet, and then some justifications, and then maybe (laughs) your answers. And so I, I keep thinking, you know what, this is something we really do need to encourage people in. Um, that seeking others who don't yet know Jesus so that they can become followers and worshipers of him should really be at the forefront of our mind in in all things because we don't just want to say, yay, we're worshipers of him. Like that was the the end. That's all that mattered. It was also, okay, so how are we helping others become worshipers of him too? How are we multiplying this? How are we encouraging others, inviting them to the party, uh, letting them join the feast, whatever wonderful biblical imagery we want to throw that way. Um, my goodness. Uh, I, I really do think we might have lost the forest trees. I don't uh, have a fully, fully formed theology on this yet, um, but something I've been doing a lot of reflection on as I've Why been, de- well, you know, <laughs> we're scratching the surface here today, um, or I at least am. <laughs> But my thought on this is I often wonder um, the, the, ex- the extension, the spread of the gospel um, is not meant for times of peace and fair weather. It seems as if its most potency and effectiveness happens in the times of chaos. Um, and I feel like that that seems to be kind of the history of what we see throughout modern history, but even in the scriptures. And it was that day of Pentecost. And then from there on out, the persecution was rampant. And so went the disciples and they all went back home and they all went to were scattered abroad. And so went the gospel. And the church in Ephesus was under a lot of fire and was dealing with a lot of opposition. And yet it became this thriving movement, not in times of peace, not in times of um, fair weather, but in times of chaos. Yeah. And I think that's a very important point for us to keep drawing out over and over again um, is that, yeah, growth happens in those times of uh, persecution. Or I, in the case of Ephesus, I, I think what we see is that that growth is happening as the believers are having an impact in the society. Mm-hmm. And, and that's critical. I, I think to uh, the, the life of a movement is that believers are making a difference and it is having uh, uh, repercussions on multiple levels of society. And so in, in Ephesus, Matt, you've brought this out before that we see the religious impact with the Jews. We see the intellectual impact as Paul is in the teaching in the uh, the philosophical school of Tyrannaeus. We see impact on the lives of the magicians that were very prominent in Ephesus. We see a political impact 
as uh, the the things that the disciples were doing were were uh, drawing in uh, uh, certain politicians, the town clerk, the Asiarchs, and so on. And so, um, uh, and so that has to. I mean, you would think if we as believers are are doing what disciples do that there is going to be a level of impact on a community that will then bring uh, some degree of persecution. I feel like the Western, at least the Western viewpoint and culture is so set upon comfort that, um, and because we've insulated ourselves in this false notion of comfort, that I think when we ask people, how have you been doing sharing your faith, they're running into issues because nobody's receiving it or very few are um, because of the, the wool that is over everyone's eyes. And I feel like perhaps it's also, it's unmotivated. Well, why should I? I mean, this person seems to be fine. Their life isn't seem to be in crisis. They, their, their spouse might be going through cancer treatments, but the doctors say she's going to make a full recovery. So yeah, life is hard, but it's manageable. And um, there's no place in that world for God to show himself. Um, there's no place in that world for God to really demonstrate his true power and his nature to his full, to the, his fullness. And I'm not asking for persecution. I'm not asking for trial and tribulation. Uh, I, I don't wish that upon any of us, but I kind of wonder, hmm. That's got me one. That's got me thinking a little bit. Yeah, and the question becomes then: How is how are we as followers of Christ, His disciples, um, really impacting our communities at different levels? Yeah, and um, and and then if we're not, then where is it that we need to be speaking into our communities and bringing truth? And and this isn't. I don't think that this. Uh, necessarily manifests itself in politics. So, Matt, what you were talking about is important for us to keep in mind that the, the there is an impact that we have on our societies, and it's not necessarily political, um, but it certainly will address issues of justice. Now, it's interesting too, and we have to always keep this in mind. Uh, there, there is, and this has happened in in uh, Western missions and in the church in the West, where we have made this huge pendulum swing from being so proclamation focused uh, that we uh, have become unconcerned with justice issues to now becoming so justice focused that we're lacking uh, concern mm-hmm. for the proclamation. And uh, Jesus helps us with this. I mean, he addresses his first letter in the book of Revelation to uh, the angel of the church of Ephesus. And he says, you've, ab- you've abandoned your first love. And he says, you need to return to the work of that first love. And it seems clear to me, and we'll get more into this, but as we go through the book of Revelation, that the work of that first love was a, having this missiologically theocentric passion for God's glory manifested in more and more people following him. 
And so, yes, we need to be focused on justice issues, but not at the expense of proclamation. Uh, but if we're going to drill down and have this impact, like what we were seeing in the movement in Ephesus, then we we have we have to be thinking in terms of where can Christianity speak into the things that are going on in our community. Hmm. I think that what's super important about this conversation is um, as long as we are running in hard at the, at the worship of Jesus, the honor of his name and his glory being seen in people and throughout the world, um, then the field's wide open. And so, so when you say, Michael, it might not be political in a way I say bull crap, it absolutely will be political, but that will just be one of the many places that Christians who are unleashed in his name are going to have an impact. Specifically, I mean, you can't talk about uh, Christians getting involved in justice issues and then say it's not going to be political. Um, I'm actually thinking, so there's a friend of mine at our church who is, um, I think he's twice as smart as I will ever be. So, um, you know, my future's hosed, but uh, he is a voice of reason. Oddly enough, in all things traffic and the future of Houston. And he keeps going to these meetings and bringing up things uh, that people around the table are not thinking about. They are, again, to reference the previous thing, um, they're coming at it by way of comfort. So what is the, the fastest way to get the highest number of people from destination A to destination B? We're going to start building more highways through this area so that by way of comfort, people going A to B can get there faster. And he is raising his hand and saying, um, did you all stop to think about the, uh, the neighborhoods that you are displacing because you just want to run a new highway through there? Have you guys stopped to consider the, uh, the human impact? And the fact that some of our poorest communities in Houston are actually going to be both obliterated and uh, the way that these areas are actually in food deserts where there aren't any grocery stores anywhere near them, you're actually making this even worse just because you desire to put a highway through there. So this is a Christian who is loving others and speaking up for justice mm. and it is showing up in a very political way to show up at a, a essentially a traffic meeting of the people who are doing city planning and saying by way of caring for others you can't do this and so so i actually say uh, by way of justice by way of political means um the way the outworking of jesus in the life of the disciples, the whole field is wide open. Everything is going to be impacted when we are so focused on him, when we are theocentric in all things, that our missiology, um, how we impact and go about seeing other people redeemed in him is going to be his glory and not just our own and our own comfort. Yeah. That, well, that's an excellent point, Andrew. And Here's here's a part of this tension in politics today, particularly in our country, where where uh, evangelicals are very divided on the political spectrum, um, and, and so 
we have to pay attention to that and we have to be concerned about how we engage in politics um, and, and, uh, and do it with gentleness. You know, first Peter t- tells us that as we are prepared with making a defense, we need to do it with respect and gentleness. And, w- and we struggle with that, uh, frankly, in evangelicalism because we have politicized justice issues and have uh, caused divisions even among us as believers. Um, and yeah, so it's a, it's, it's a challenge for sure. You know, it's interesting. I think even just come in my season of church planting, I even question my own motives at times. And I, I have to ask myself the question, why, why am I doing this? Why did I pursue this? Why, why, why is, you know, and so you, you get into these moments of going, I'm not doubting God here. I'm not doubting his providence and his willing and his desire to use me for his glory. Um, and I know that my desire to church plan has always been to, to bring glory to God and to share that glory, to share his goodness, to share Jesus with other people. And then you run with the information that you have in your hand. And that is, guess what does this the most effectively? church planting. So I go back to the quote, right? So it's like, oh, well, if this is the most important means, if this is the means, the vehicle to which this is done, then let's go do this, right? And then you run up against the headwinds. <laughs> you run up against all of a sudden, like, I'm not, I'm not on that. Like, what's happening here? Why is this not working? If, if God's plan is that through church planting, this is how the world gets to know Jesus then why is this not turning out the way that it was expected of? Why is it that the playbook is not working anymore? Right? So then you got to go back to the, you got to go back to the playbook and you go, okay, well, did I miss a page? What did I not do? Right? What did I miss? And you keep digging through here and you realize that in the playbook, there is like a thousand plays that could all be executed. And when they go with perfection, they might, they might work. Right. And then you go back to like, okay, well then what has this playbook been built on? And you go back to its, its philosophical and its theological implications. And here comes, uh, Michael and ephesiology and our conversations <laughs> and going, wait a minute. It is, what was, was the, was, have we been reading this right? <laughs> have mm. I been understanding this right? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, the playbook is okay, but it's, it's not, perfect. It's imperfect in so many ways. And now we're looking at it, it's like, are we even playing the same game? Right. Um, and, and there's so many other factors we could talk about in regards to, well, you know, there's always persecution and there's always Satan who's trying to throw you off and, you know, and uh, you know, maybe your heart's not in it. Maybe you've sinned somewhere along the way, Matt, I don't, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, that's great and all, but if this is the statistical means to reaching the lost, then why are we not effectively doing that as well? And you start reconciling, you start going back and, and looking at this and going, have we gotten this wrong? Because guess what? I'm not the only one. Michael, you just said it earlier. Is like 3,000 churches are closing their door, would you say, every week? Every, 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 I think every month. Every month? Every month. So clearly, there's a problem, isn't there? Mm. 
Yeah, you know, I, I, as you've been talking, I've been thinking about uh, years ago, and maybe people are still talking like this, but we used to think in terms of uh, being purpose-driven, program-driven, or people-driven. And of course, Rick Warren champions the purpose-driven church. And and a number of people jumped on that bandwagon. I, I, I was included in that, uh, where, yes, we, we have a purpose. And now we'll define what that purpose is and, and we'll pursue that and call people along to be uh, to join us in that purpose. And what ephesiology is doing, what our study of this New Testament movement is doing is, is challenging that whole paradigm where now we're, we're recognizing that there is only one purpose and that's God's purpose that is to unite all things in Christ. And we are to join with him. And so, so uh, we're not necessarily creating a purpose or a vision or a mission for what it is that we're trying to do. But we are, we are on God's mission. And uh, we are about fulfilling his vision, and not our own. And that's a big shift for us, as, particularly as we think about uh, church planting as a strategy, because oftentimes when we, when at least when I've done that, and I'm sure when others do it as well, we begin to think, well, we have to have a vision statement. We have to have a mission statement. And, uh, and yet scripture is clear. There's already a vision for what it is that we're to do. And that vision is beautifully laid out in the book of Revelation. And every people, tribe, language is going to be worshiping God. That's the vision. Uh, that we're that we're focused on, and the mission is the uniting of all things in Christ, as Paul tells us in Ephesians one. And so, then, where should my focus be? And and I think it goes back to uh, being people driven. I, I think that we are to be people driven disciple makers, because it's the hearts of people that. Um, that will be before the Lord. It's those individuals who stand before him. It's not a church building or a denomination or any of these other things, but it's people. And that's who God is pursuing. And that's because we are missiologically theocentric. That is because of it. Not not saying we are people-driven because we are anthropocentric that we are changing that what we are doing because of people, but we are saying, no, 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 no. This is about uniting all things in Christ. We are about God's will. We are joining him in what he is doing. And because we are joining him in what he is doing, we are chasing after those who are not yet worshipers of God and bringing them to a place of, of saying, this is who he is. And this is so easy to talk about. Like for real, this is, it, it takes very little effort for the three of us and everybody listening right now to nod their heads and say, this is a really good conversation. This is something that I agree with, mm, you know, mm, my heart, mm. but the reality is that now what does it take us to turn off the mics and walk out and help walk alongside people who don't yet know Jesus so that they can become worshipers of him? Mm-hmm. What does it take for our churches? to focus our ministries, <laughs> our ministries, our programs, the things that we are about to chase after people who don't yet know Jesus. Because once upon a time, opening up your church doors actually was effective. That's not the case today. It's just not the case. 
I think we have to ask ourselves, what's the motivated end goal? And that's the question we keep asking ourselves on this podcast, right? Is what is the motivated end goal? Is it to fill the church? Is it to fill the seats? Is it to get the bigger building? Or is it to glorify our God? Mm. Right? And even then, like sometimes that just sounds a little too um, intangible. Bland. You know? Yeah, because it's like, oh, to get more people to worship God. Okay, great. You know, um, they can do that in our building. <laughs> we got to create a building for them. We got to create programs for them. We got to entertain them. You know, and it's like we just, we fall back into the same old rhythms and routines. Uh, and I think the world sees that even in our best attempts, we still be- end up back there. It's us focused. It's the mission is about growing my tribe. The mission is about growing my institution, my brand, lifting up our pastor's name, uh, the programs and the good things that we do in the community, a a way to raise money and funds so that our name can be on something. And I think the world just sees it through it. And and we end up, because we keep falling into it, we keep falling into the same traps. And I just can't help but wonder if there's a radical new approach that which we really need to start considering, or it's going to be forced upon us in some of the most horrific ways of how do we literally live as people of the way, as those who live and die by the cross for the glory of Jesus and share his good news and, and, and serve our communities and our neighbors as Jesus people. I I mean, I'm sitting here with a pit in my stomach because it's making me very nervous, uh, this whole conversation. And uh, because what you're talking about is some radical movement, uh, a change that has to happen. And and I think I think you're right. I I think that has to happen. We have got to uh, understand God's vision and God's mission and really join with him on it. And, and I think a part of that is us coming to the realization of who we are in this. Uh, what role do we play? What is our identity? And when we begin to own that identity, not that it's focused on us, but it's focused on what he's done in our lives, uh, that, that compels us to be on his mission to fulfill his vision of more people worshiping him because that is what glorifies God the most. Um, it, when we own that identity, then it, th- that radically changes our, our life. Mm. It, just share a little personal anecdote uh, of how this has uh, impacted me. And it's uncomfortable to be honest. It really is. Uh, I was out of town uh, uh, as I frequently am. And, um, uh, and when I'm out of town, of course, I, I, you guys know that I'm a cyclist and I love to cycle and I don't always get to do that when I'm out of town. And so I'll go into a fitness center at, at a hotel. And so I went in uh, to the fitness center a couple of weeks ago and, um, the, the guy was on uh, the machine that I wanted to be on. And I thought, well, this is really irritating. You know, I want, I needed that machine. <laughs> and so I started running instead. And, uh, ran, you know, a few miles and finished and got some water and, and, uh, walked out of the fitness center back to my hotel room. And, it, and then all of a sudden it was as if the Holy spirit was saying, 
why didn't you talk to that guy about Jesus? And I, I, I like stopped for a moment and I thought, you know, that's like a crazy thing. Why would I do that? You know? And, uh, uh, I'm all sweaty now and I want to go back and take a shower and, and relax, uh, the rest of the evening. And, and still, again, the Holy spirit said, you know, you need to turn around and ask that guy if he knows Jesus. And I thought, dang it, you know, I know this physiology stuff has just messed me up uh, because I know that's what I have to do. That's who I am. If I believe this stuff, that I'm on God's mission joining him, then I have got to live expecting that God is going to communicate in some way and, uh, and wants me to go and engage people with the gospel. And so I, I uh, relented and turned around, went back into the fitness center, and uh, the guy was running, and I got some more water and struck up a conversation with him. And eventually I said, uh, I said you know, this is going to sound really wacky, uh, I'm sure, but I was walking down the hotel hall, going back to my room, and uh, just felt like that God was saying that I needed to come back and ask you if you knew Jesus. And I was just straight up just like that. And the guy looked at me like, you know, the, I thought he was thinking this guy's wacko. But then he, he, he looked and he stopped uh, running and turned off the machine and leaned up against it and said, you know, I'd love to talk about religious things. And uh, so we had a conversation. He was not a believer. Um, and so I shared the gospel with him and uh, I left him with the gospel of John and, and my number. Um, but I think that's what this does. I mean, it's that kind of thing. If we really believe this stuff, uh, th then we should be living as if God wants us to talk to people about him. And, uh, and that changes. That changes our lives. Uh, and I it rightly should change our lives. That story is so encouraging because, uh, A, it's somebody following in obedience. It's somebody listening to the Holy Spirit. But there's also something that's very encouraging about it, which is um, the answer for you following Jesus wasn't to turn around and just say, we've got the wrong method. So let me, let me, let me tear down the method. Let me spend my effort saying this system's broken. Now let me build a new system. Um, Right as you were starting to talk, my mind was still racing with some of the things Matt was saying. And I honestly believe I'll, I'll put myself in the camp. And then, you know, if you two nod, nobody on the podcast will know. Um, so your secret's safe with me. Um, <laughs> we might just speak out here, so be yeah. careful. <laughs> that when we look at the church and we say, man, we've been chasing church planting movements. We've been doing it wrong. And we look at another system that we've been chasing and we thought this was going to be the thing that was going to help make faithful disciples and we look at it and we go oh no we've been doing it wrong so then we spend our effort saying or decrying this thing isn't it when instead let's just not waste our breath on saying everything sucks and let's tear it all down but let's spend our time effort and energy by encouraging people with the gospel, growing them in the worship of Jesus, and pointing with all of our effort at the glorious and wonderful King and saying, are you worshiping him? Are you loving him? 
Are you growing in your love for him? And if not, let's talk about that. Let's not worry about the best and the brightest system or, or the quickest means, but let's just spend our time saying, how are we doing as disciples? How are you doing as a disciple? Is this about Jesus? Because if it's not, like Matt uh, gave his anecdote earlier, if it's not, we're wasting our time. We are wasting our breath. Let's be about Jesus. So like I said, I'm, I'm pointing at me. I am a systems guy. I think systems. I think logically. I think logistically. I want to get to the end, the fastest, best, and uh, well, I already said fastest, so I can't say quickest, but I want to get there and I want to remove every obstacle possible. But I think I am missing what really matters. And that's people running hard after Jesus, being satisfied in him because he is the good news. He is everything. And outside of him, we have no good. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you, Andrew. Um, and I wonder if our language then needs to be not in an anthropocentric way, but um, but because God is people driven, because right. he wants more people to worship him, then we've got to be people driven, not systems driven, not denominationally driven, not theologically, you know, uh, in terms of a particular theological system. Um, but that we need to be people driven, because if we're people driven, then it seems to me we're really following hard after God's heart. And we we might then have these experiences where God says, hey, that's a person I want you <laughs> to speak with about me. And we have got mm-hmm. to listen to him and respond. Uh, not, And I would say not in obedience, but because that's who we are. This is our identity. If we truly have owned this, uh, this disciple moniker, then that is who we are. This is what we do. And there's no question uh, mm. about it. Because it's not out of should. It's, it's not out of an ought. It's not out of a rule um, to be followed. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Of who we are. It's identity. I, um, I do want to clarify too, because I don't want people to, to uh, misunderstand what I'm saying. I absolutely see a, a church planting movement in the book of Acts. However, I see that that was the result of disciple making. Yeah. And, and I believe that we can still see church planting movements, and we do around the world, but it's the result of people making disciples. And so if, so if we're people-driven like God is people-driven and we're making disciples, what we're going to see are those disciples uh, gathering together in uh, churches and worshiping uh, together, reading God's word together, praying, fellowshipping, and making more disciples together. The five things that we see in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we see it all through yeah. scripture. I mean, the same, those same functions are repeated uh, throughout. Yeah. Amen to that. And, you know, I'm reminded with that idea of just like starting in the way in the means in which you plan to go. And it's like, are we, if we intend to create uh, this institutional box that requires uh, uh, large amounts of funding and programs and branding, then you're going to start there, right? 
But if you're looking to, uh, and with the hopes of getting disciples, I think Mike, Mike Breen has been known for saying this, that uh, you, you, could, you may start a church, but you may not end up with disciples. But if you start with disciples, you'll always end with the church. Mm-hmm. And I think it's such a helpful phrase to go, boom, there it is. It's right there. We could start this thing, this organization, but we don't know what the quality of the people are going to be at the end of it. And so much of our, as you were even saying, um, Andrews, that so much of those systems and things like that, that we kind of get wrapped up into are all about how do we change the institution to get the kind of people we're looking to get out of it. Versus if we just start with the beginning and go, hey, we are real people looking to follow and glorify and worship Jesus together and to know what it means to walk in his ways. We want to share that with others and want to encourage one another in that. Then we don't have to worry about the rest of this. We don't have to worry about how this is going to end up. And so then we can actually help encourage people who feel disenfranchised or or uh, almost like they're judged because they're not a part of a big church. They're not a part of a big institution. Mm. Um, and, w- and we say, hey, are you faithful? <laughs> are you worshiping Jesus? Are you in love with your Savior? Mm. This is good. Mm. This is good, full stop. You don't have to feel inferior. You don't have to feel like you're not doing enough. Are you a part of being fully uh, enraptured with the glory of God. Mm. Then good. <laughs> Keep is on. that ra- is that a rapturing of like all human souls? Or I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's an encouraging word for uh, folks out there that are church planting and and are struggling. Yeah, um, you know our our worth isn't on whether or not a church starts. Um, where where our worth is, is in our identity in Christ. And are we living that out faithfully? Oh, shoot. And it also should be encouraging the more I keep thinking about it. It should be encouraging for people who might find themselves uh, not uh, not a part of a a sexy denomination. Like what for our Catholic friends who are still in love with Jesus and they feel like all the things they hear from evangelicals is slight and put down. And they're like, but I still love Jesus. Am I allowed to love Jesus and, and try to grow in him and be Catholic? Uh, am I allowed to love Jesus and be Episcopal with, when my denomination is making some really crazy choices in certain places, but not in other places? Am, mm-hmm. am I allowed to love Jesus? Um, if I am a part of a rock star church in the evangelical world, and I may not be wrapped up with all that, but I still love Jesus. Is, does that, is my faith valid? You know, it's still about him. It has to be. Amen. Amen. And, and I think it, I mean, there's something here even for the larger church too. I, I mean, I know years ago, it used to be said that if a church hasn't reproduced in five years, then more than likely it's not going to. And I think statistically, that's what we're seeing. I, I know that exponential folks who have uh, been doing this study on church multiplication are indicating that even today, only 7% of churches are actually multiplying. And, and what this d- does for them is, I, I think, it, actually, I think it's liberating. It, it's saying that, you know, our focus shouldn't be on the multiplication of the church. It should be on the multiplication of disciples. And so let's do that really, really well. And if we do it well, 
then those disciples are going to gather together in some form uh, to to worship. And uh, but our focus should be on the multiplication of disciples. But mm-hmm. Michael, that's hard to measure. Are we allowed to be behind something that we can't measure so easily as the multiplication of disciples? Because it's a lot easier to measure churches. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and that's not what it's about, is it? It's it's about, ultimately, it's about God's glory. And um, and like we've been saying, God is most glorified when more people are worshiping him. Sorry. Sorry to get snarky. Yeah, I was just going to call you yeah. out, Mr. Snarky. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone, for Mr. Snarky, Michael, and myself, that's all we have for today. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and perhaps on that note, um, man, what a, what a challenging conversation this has been and, um, and, and yet a very helpful and edifying one, at least I feel, um, if our listeners can't tell, I think, um, even just in the sound of our voices and as I look at our faces, um, on video here, I go, and we are in process in this together. And, um, we're, this is like raw right here. I mean, we have not really talked too much about this. We don't have very well-formed thoughts on this, but we have been processing this together. It just seems to be kind of the next logical step to which you just start doing the processing and, and praying over and looking at and inquiring and asking these challenging questions. Um, and it's all for the glory of God. It's all for our pursuit to love him and to see more people follow and worship him because Jesus Christ is returning one day and he is going to make uh, everything right and new and wonderful and restored all to his glorious grace and his love and his uh, perfection again. And, um, and it's going to be wonderful and we're going to all be worshiping him. And uh, there's unfortunately two sides to that. We're either for him or we're against him. And, uh, and our desire is to say all, all to be for him. And, uh, and that is our heart as well. And for those of you who might be listening and are practitioners in the church or those who are pastors and wrestling through some of these ideas and going, man, this is challenging stuff. This challenges everything I've ever known. This challenges my seminary. This challenges all of my training, uh, the way in which my church is built upon. Um, we feel you. We know you. We hear you. Um, uh, we're, we're going through it in many of our own contexts as well, and we're processing this together. Don't give up hope. Uh, stay strong, be faithful, um, and, uh, and, and, and walk through what God has for us. Let us, as Michael's been exhorting us to, we're on God's mission, not our own. And uh, that right there is the first leap. <laughs> that is the first jump, uh, is for us to be reminded that we are following, choosing to get on his train, choosing to get on his path, choosing to get on his mission. And uh, that's the first leap in which we make. And uh, we have to take that ride wherever it's going to take us uh, following. And so we do that in faith. And with that, we want to encourage you, if you are a pastor, a a church leader, um, maybe even a church member who's been listening and engaging and listening to these conversations, uh, we really want you to just kind of be a part of our community, uh, be a part of um, our fellowship. Uh, You Join us online at ephesiology.com and check out the laboratory as well. Uh, we're there, we're starting up this laboratory where we have this opportunity for 
practitioners of the faith, leaders of the faith, uh, future church planters or current church planters to be thinking about these things and starting to learn to apply them and do that in the context of community with Andrew, Michael, and myself and others just like you, where we get to learn from each other and encourage each other and grow together through these things, um, even beyond the podcast and beyond the um, uh, the website and beyond our Facebook page, and to really be wrestling through these things. Um, we w- really want to encourage you to check that out and um, join us in these conversations. We want to hear from you. What are you experiencing? What are you challenged by? What is it that you're discovering? And what is it that God's been revealing to you in this process as well? And uh, with that, we would love to see where the God leads this. And as we start to see a movement of God's people and his church, uh, especially not just in the West, but even globally as well. Um, Michael, anything you want to add to that as, uh, as I just kind of pitched our laboratory? Yeah, well, I'm excited about this laboratory, actually. And, and I love uh, this idea that we want to create this space for people to come together and, and just explore. Um, it's, you know, our vision for this is that it's a learning community and everything's, everything is uh, fair game. Uh, it, we want it to be a safe place where we can talk openly and freely that we can have some of these challenging conversations. I mean, this one today, it, it still makes me feel a little uncomfortable because I know where we have been as far as a Western culture and Western missions has been so focused on uh, church planting as a strategy. And and uh, we're kind of challenging that a bit. And that's that's an uncomfortable feeling. Um, to do that, but but we want we want people to speak in. I mean, we could be completely whacked here too, um, and so tell Time us. Will tell. If, yeah, <laughs> tell us if we are. We, uh, I mean, we certainly don't want to present ourselves as having the answer, but we do want to always point ourselves back to Scripture and really understand what God was doing then and uh, drawing on principles that we see and applying those today. And so that's, that's what the lab is about. Um, I mean, we feel like that we have a clear, clear-ish understanding of what a movement is and what a disciple is and what a leader is and, and what a church is. And, and we want to invite people to speak into that and um, to join us as we're uh, processing through these things. And, and uh, really seeking the Lord for the way in which we can bring him the most honor um, and, and see people come to know him. Amen. Andrew, final word? Nope. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> I, think, I think I've done enough talking, and I think we, uh, we have really uh, circled this one. And uh, I think it is wise for us to say, um, just because we set our peace uh, on a podcast does not make it absolute truth, but we are people who are wrestling with this, looking at scripture and asking God, um, where are you moving? And are there things that we may have put up as the idols that we need to tear down? Yeah. Do we need to be doing something different as we chase hard, as we chase hard after you and as we enjoy the salvation that you have given us in rest and peace? So, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. Well, uh, with that, uh, we'll close this out today. And uh, just thank you to our listeners who continue with us and uh, are enjoying these conversations. We hope that you have been blessed and are encouraged by them and even challenged 
Uh, we do, as always, remind you to be sure you are subscribing uh, to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it be through uh, Spotify, uh, iTunes, Google Play, and be sure to leave a five-star rating review and uh, that way other people can um, find this podcast and benefit from it just as you have been. And do sh- be sure to share it on social media as well, through Facebook. Um, and uh, we're mostly there on Facebook, but you can, of course, share it through any other social media ways that you uh, prefer to, to let the word out and give let people know about, hey, I'm listening to this and you should be too. Well, so for uh, Michael, Andrew, and myself, we say goodbye and we will catch you next week.